Um, I'm Jeff. Great to be with you this morning. Um, a cyclone is on the way. You may not have heard. You might not have heard anything about it yet because the media does not like to make a big deal about things like this. Um, you might not care because it's only seemed small or you might be quite worried because it's on the way. Um, if you have capacity to offer help to others, please do it. And if you are worried, please reach out and ask for help from others or just to talk through what you're worried about and what you're thinking. Um, that's the best way we can help each other in the next few days. Um, I'm going to start our Christmas series, our Advent series this morning by telling you about how I am a, a runner. Um, very average, very middle to back of the pack, but nonetheless a runner. And I have a dream that one day in a real running race, I could have a lead bike in front of me as I run. You may have seen this before um, in person or on on TV or online, but in, in proper races, the front runner, the lead runner, has a bike in front of them. Not not so they can hold on for an extra boost, but the lead bike is in front of them to help clear the way. They could ring their bell or they could gently ask or, or yell at anyone who's on the track to clear the way from the first place runner and also to draw attention to and add some excitement around first place. So often they'll have a little sign on the bike, you know, first place male or first place female or, or whatever it is that, that their role is on the day. And, and I, that just sounds like so much fun to me. Never going to happen, but a guy can dream right? That one day I could run so well, so fast to have a lead bike. And the image of the lead bike is what I've been thinking about this week, thinking about John the Baptist in the Christmas story. John the Baptist was born before Jesus, arrived on the scene before Jesus, and his role is like a lead bike for Jesus, the first place runner. He helped people prepare their hearts and prepare their lives for the coming King. And so as we go into Advent, the season leading up to Christmas, we want to talk about how we can prepare our hearts for the coming King. Because in Christmas, we remember Jesus' first arrival, first coming, first appearing. But we also are reminded that he said he was going to come again. And so we can prepare our hearts and we can be like a lead bike for Jesus helping others prepare their hearts and their lives and draw attention to him. So we find the story of the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. Luke was not there when all this happened, but Luke researched and spoke to people who were there. And then his book, his gospel, is a, a researched account of what happened around this time. And so um, there'll be a little mini family tree on the screen for you. We know about Jesus, whose mother was Mary, and his earthly father was Joseph. And I thank you. And then Mary had a relative cousin, second cousin, we're not really sure, but she had a relative named Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was married to Zachariah, and they were the ones, they were the family in which John the Baptist was going to be born. Not John the disciple of Jesus, not John who wrote other books in the Bible, but John the Baptist as he came to be known. So the story starts with Zachariah. He was a priest, 
and he was serving in the temple and his job on that day was the job he may have only done once in his life. It was his turn to go right into the heart of the temple, the most special place. He was the only one in there performing his priestly duties that day and all of a sudden he got a fright because he wasn't the only one in there but there was an angel in there with him. We don't know if the angel was big or scary or surprised him, you know, boo, from behind him. We don't know, but he was afraid, even just because there was another person in there with him. But the angel named Gabriel said, don't be afraid. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. And when she has this son, you should name him John, because he'll be a special son with a special purpose. And in particular, Gabriel said this in verse 16 of Luke 1 about John. He said, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. That's what this baby was going to do. That was his role, to be like Elijah, who had been a prophet 800 years earlier. John was going to prepare the people by calling them back with their hearts and their lives, calling them back to the Lord in preparation for the Lord to appear like a lead bike. John was going to ride out in front of Jesus, drawing attention to the coming Messiah and helping prepare people because he was on his way. Now, I'm just a little side note. I reckon it's a good thing that most of us have no idea what is going to happen in our own lives or what's going to happen in the lives of our children before they're born. And if someone, if an angel had appeared to, to me or to my wife, Laura, before our first child was born and said, one day in about 14 years time, your son will ride bikes down a mountain surrounded by rocks at breakneck speeds. We might go, yeah, no, I don't think we'll ever teach him to ride a bike. We might adjust our plan because of what we know is about to happen. But, but for some reason, God decided Zachariah and Elizabeth could know. They were up for the challenge. But you might not think that because of what happened next. In verse uh, 19, I think it is, Zachariah said to the angel, well, how in the world can this happen? I'm old. And if you think I'm old, you should see my wife. She's almost as old as I am. Like this cannot happen. Biologically, not an option. And in verse 20, Gabriel says, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Now, I always imagined that the angel was angry at Zachariah. And this was like his thing. I was going to, oh, you, you know, this is just so frustrating. I've got, I've got silence in my pocket. I'm going to pull it out and, and you'll be silent until John is born. But, but we don't know that he was angry. We put tone into his words. And, and when I was thinking about it this week, I thought this, the idea that God would be angry at Zachariah for asking this question is inconsistent with how God treats other people who ask questions in the Bible. Even in the Old Testament times, we think about the Psalms, poetry filled with doubts, filled with questions. That God will challenge us when he thinks we need challenging, but, but he seems to welcome our doubts and our questions, and even when we need confirmation, be willing to provide that to us. So it, it's strange that the angel, on behalf of God, would be angry at Zechariah. And, and then Jesus you know, we know now in hindsight what Jesus was like as the full representation of God, welcomed questions from his disciples, from random people. 
Think about his disciples. They did not have a clue most of the time, which is really great for us because they asked obvious questions that, that we want to know the answers to. And then in Mark chapter 9, you know, there was a man that came to Jesus and he, and he said, I, I, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. He was willing to express doubt and, and to ask questions. And Jesus doesn't get angry with him, doesn't punish him, doesn't make him silent. Jesus helps him in his unbelief. So, so I just want to encourage you with this encounter with the angel in the Christmas story, don't, don't take from it that God doesn't want you to ask questions or that God would be angry if you doubt or if you're afraid or if you're not allowed to be curious. You are. So I, I, I reckon, and this is me putting my thoughts into this story, but based on this consistent understanding of, of what God is like, I reckon Gabriel came preloaded with this response. As if God sent him saying, hey, go give this message to the priest Zachariah. He's not going to believe you. So what we're going to do, this is going to be really fun. What we're going to do is you'll say to him when he doesn't believe you, okay, well, you'll be silent until the baby's born. That, that, that would be fun. And, and it was fun. Maybe not for Zachariah, um, but fun. And also it drew attention to how special John's birth was. It wasn't enough that it was miraculous that this quite elderly couple had a baby, but also that Zachariah was mute from the day in the temple until his son was born. And even eight days later, it was when his son was dedicated in the temple. That's when Zachariah spoke for the first time. In verse 65... When, um, when John is dedicated in the temple, Mary says um, his name will be John, um, no one believes her because John is not in their family. John's not a family name. And that's very unusual to just import another name in that time. So they're, they're like, that can't be right. That's not sure. And so Zachariah's like, well, you know, he's, he, he gesticulates. Give me something to write with. And he writes, his name will be John. And as soon as he finishes writing that, his mouth is opened and the first words out of his mouth are praises to God. And in verse 65, we read what happened. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. Oh, no, not, not that kind of awe, A-W-E. Oh, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread through the Judean hills. And everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. These are amazing events, even before Jesus was born, capturing the attention of everyone around them. Zachariah's silence drew even more attention to what was happening. John's birth was miraculous. It was unique. But remember, John's not the winning runner. John's on the lead bike. There's someone even better, someone even more amazing, someone greater coming. And here's what Zechariah prophesied or promised about what his son would be and do in verse 76. This is on the, the day John was dedicated when Zechariah's mouth was opened again. He said, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This is what a lead bike 
does in a running race. The bike is a profit for the one who is about to run around the corner behind them. The bike prepares the way for the runner. The bike draws attention to the runner. And this would have been an amazing time to live in. A time of fulfilled promise and more promises to come. This heightened expectation that someone greater was about to appear. And you and I live in a time like this again. As we celebrate the coming king, we remember when Jesus first arrived as a baby, but we also remember and we also celebrate that he promised he was coming back again. It's about the anticipation and about the fulfillment of Jesus coming back. That he promised that this time, rather than coming with vulnerability and rather than coming in weakness and rather than coming to die, he would come with victory and he would come with judgment. And so we live in that time, that time of expectation of his promise being fulfilled. And, and, and we have the promises of the past to rely on, and then we have the promises of the future that are yet to be fulfilled. And, and in Luke's research, as he put his book, his gospel together, um, he recorded some things that Jesus said about his second coming. So here's one, fast forwarding in the book to Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, and there will be strange signs in the sun moon and stars and here on earth the nations will be in turmoil perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides and people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth for the powers in the heavens will be shaken then everyone will see the son of man coming on a cloud with power and great glory so when all these things begin to happen stand and look up for your salvation is near When, when, when will Jesus come back? We have no idea. We don't know. And, and, and I hear and I read and I, you know, see on, on YouTube or TV or whatever, people saying that it must be soon now because of the terrible things that are happening all around the world. And, and that may be the case, but, but you don't have to look very far back in history and you don't have to look very far in other places in the world to find it much, much worse than it is right now today in Cairns. We've been living in in the end times, expecting Jesus for quite a long time now. And so when I see events happening, it doesn't make me think it's it's definitely going to be in my lifetime. It's definitely happening sooner. That's not how I interpret those signs. But at the same time, it doesn't make me discouraged to go, well, it's been almost 2,000 years. Like maybe, maybe he was joking. Maybe he didn't really say that. Maybe we misunderstood it. I, I, don't, I don't get discouraged about that either. So neither do I freak out, but neither do I get disappointed and discouraged and, and give up because past promises that have been fulfilled when Jesus arrived the first time and the signs that we see around us in the heavens, on the earth, in governments, in turmoil around the earth, they are signs of a promise that is going to be fulfilled one day. And just as Jesus arrived the first time, he will arrive the second time. No one knows when, but he asks us to live with an expectation that it could be any day, any time. So if John the Baptist was a lead bike for Jesus' first arrival, how could you and I be lead bikes for Jesus' second arrival? How can we be modern day John the Baptist clearing away distractions and drawing attention to Jesus in our lives and and in the world? 
So John's job, one of his main jobs was to prepare the way by softening people's hearts, to get them ready to see Jesus and accept Jesus, to, to remove distractions and things that were in the way, riding ahead to, to clear out the way is one of the things that he did. So I wonder, how could I do this today? How could we do this today? Well, I, I know in my life there are things that crowd Jesus out. I know that in my heart there are competing priorities that, that I will make more important than Jesus. And, and I know in my busy schedule, there are loads of things that will distract me and occupy my time and my attention. So how can I prepare my heart to see Jesus more clearly and receive Jesus more fully? Well, I can, I can remove some of those distractions. That's within my power and within my decision-making. I can make changes physical, practical changes to my life that soften my heart to receive Jesus more fully. It doesn't change my salvation status, the status of my relationship with Jesus, but it changes my experience of Jesus in how I live my life. And this is what John did. So John grew up. If we go in the Christmas or just after the Christmas story to Luke 3, just before Jesus arrives on the scene in his ministry, 30-ish years after John's born, John is preaching one day out in the desert and he's, he's telling people to change their lives, to turn their hearts away from sin and back to God. And so the crowds asked in verse 10, well, what should we do? And John said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share with those who are hungry. And then even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized by John. And they said, teacher, what should we do? And he personalizes the, the, the application to them. Well, you guys don't collect any more taxes than what the government requires. Go, oh. Okay, so that's what it looks like for us to soften our hearts, stop extorting people and taking more than we're supposed to, but only do what the government has asked us to do. And, and then there are some soldiers. What should we do? And he says, well, you guys also don't extort money and don't make false accusations and be content with your pay. So, so in all these things, we can't take that and just drop it into our lives and, and, and say, all right, I've, I've got two shirts, so I'm going to give away my second shirt. That's a good thing to do, but, but that's not the point of what John was doing. And go, well, you know, I'm not a tax collector, um, but maybe, maybe I'm not content with my pay, or maybe I've made a false accusation that they're good things to sort out, but that's not the point. The point was John was looking at individual people, people whose lives were crowded out with sin and competing priorities. And he said, hey, for you, if you change this about your life, it will help you open your heart to receive Jesus. And it's the same for us as well. Bold changes in your life can help you encounter Jesus, help you experience him and help you walk closely with him. Now, now don't be confused. These things by themselves can't save you. They can't change your status of your relationship with God, but they can change your experience of Jesus and the way you live for him today. So, so I wonder, if we're talking about clearing the way, making sure the path is clear for Jesus in our, our own hearts, I wonder what bold or radical change the Holy Spirit might confront you with today.
And I can't help but think about, you know, times in my life and decisions I've made over the years to, to not listen to certain types of music or not watch certain movies or not read certain books. Not because no one should read them or listen to them or watch them and not because I should stand up here and tell you not to, to follow my decision, but because for me, I knew that, that I shouldn't. They were particular unique things that I needed to clear out of my life. And so I wonder what something like that could be for you today to prepare your heart for Jesus. The other thing John did was draw attention to Jesus. His role was to draw attention, as his dad prophesied, to God's tender mercy that was about to break out, to point to the light that was coming for the sake of those who sit in darkness, to point to the peace that was coming in Jesus. And, and, and in the same way, we can do that, but, but on our own, not very well. You know, on, our, on, on my own, by myself, even us, if we work all together, we don't have much light or hope or peace to bring to people in darkness in our lives. But the point is that we know the one who can. John didn't bring much hope or much peace in his life and in his ministry. He always pointed to the one who was coming who could. And we can be a sign and we can be a messenger of Jesus pointing people to him. We can be the ones on the lead bike, first place runner coming right behind me. If you've ever seen that in a race, it doesn't make you go, oh, look at that bike. That is an amazing bike. It makes you go, oh, bike's there. That means the lead runner's coming. Here comes the athlete. And in the same way in our lives, people should not be, be focused on you or, or obsessed with you, but they should be with the one that you're pointing to. That, see, the point is not that your life looks perfect. As a Christian, you don't want people thinking about you, gee, they are just so blessed. They, 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 they've got their lives all together. They've always got plenty of money. So good looking. Surely, surely there must be something uh, spiritual about them that I want to get to know about. That's not how it works. That's not the point. Some years after Jesus, the apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He said, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear, this makes it obvious that this great power, our great power is from God and not from ourselves. That's the point. The point is that people see that you're just cracked and broken like the rest of them. But they can pick up there's something going on beneath the surface. You look just as messed up as everyone else on the outside, but there's something going on beneath the surface. And, and we each will represent some unique part of Jesus' light that's about the way that we're created and about the work that he's doing in us. And so we all contain this light, the fullness of God, but we're all made differently. Our cracks are in different places and we're different shaped clay jars. And so the way that God is doing unique work in you will mean that you have something unique that is a little bit different from the Christian person next to you. So for some of you, it'll be the peace that you show in difficult circumstances. That's the kind of light that shines out of your cracked up life. For some of you, it'll be the joy that you show. 
For some of you, it'll be the light that you shine into dark places. And for others, it'll be the love that you show to unlovable people. Now, these are all marks of a follower of Jesus. It's not like we get to pick and choose and go, well, I'm not going to do the loving or the light shining or the peace, but I'll be joyful. We don't get to do that. My, my point is there's probably something unique about you and the work God has done and is doing in your life, which means one of those things or one aspect of God's character or nature is going to shine out of you more brightly through the broken parts of your life. See, John the Baptist grew up to be a wild, intense man. He lived out in the desert. He wore clothes made of camel's hair. He ate wild honey straight from wild beehives. And he ate locusts. Like, I know it was the first century, but there were better things to eat than locusts even back then. But that was how he wanted to live his life. It wasn't his outward life, though, that drew people to him. It was the hope he had within him. Because he'd removed competing distractions from his heart and competing priorities and things in the way, and he was pointing people to Jesus. Behold, check it out. Here he comes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So how can you be a lead bike for Jesus? Preparing the way in your heart and drawing people's attention to him. We're going to pray together in a moment and give some space for the Holy Spirit to speak to you about some specific things. But first, I want to invite you, if you're up for it, to, re- to do an Advent Bible reading together. And um, we've picked one in the Bible app called The Names of Jesus for Advent. And so for 14 days, if we start today, which is the way the plan is set up, means we'll finish on Christmas Eve and each day look at one of the names given for Jesus and what that means in light of Advent and the Christmas story. Um, so link is on the screen, QR code's on the screen. I'll email it out today as well. Um, and and it's, it's online in the Bible app in whatever device you're using. And it means we can all read the short devotional. We can read the Bible passages that it suggests. And you can see, you know, day one on the screen, for example. And then there's the talk it over section if you want to share or ask questions or, or just raise topics based on what we've read. Um, just a a, uh, a fun, meaningful way to journey through Advent together as a church and finish together on Christmas Eve with celebration. But let's finish the message. Let's finish the message with just a time um, of listening for God's voice in your own heart. And then I'll draw us back together in prayer in a moment. So God, I want to invite you to speak to us. Speak to me speak to each open heart this morning about what it could look like for us to be a lead bike pointing to you today.
Jesus, we thank you for who John the Baptist was and his ministry, which helped prepare people then and helps prepare us now for you. And God, we would love to be like that in our day, in our own hearts and for the sake of others in our lives as well, that we could, we could help people prepare their hearts for you to speak to them. And we could help draw attention to you. So would you help us be modern day John the Baptist, I ask in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.